revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm just going to pray for the sermon. Father, we, uh, we certainly, we just indeed thank you, Lord, for today, uh, that you've gathered us to hear your word. I just pray that each heart here would be open, that you have something. We talk about your, your manifest glory uh, and how you just work in each and every one of us. The same words will come forth from the preacher today, and you will instill that in each and every heart, and you will have your perfect word, uh, work fulfilled in each hearer that's sitting here, though it may be in different life situations, different ways, different things that we're struggling with. But Father, through, through your word that's preached today, you will minister to each and every one of us. So may we open our hearts now to hear your word in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Well, good morning, friends. So good to see you. Thank you. I uh, just want to thank again all the workers that were here yesterday. Um, thanks to Heather for leading the, the um, event. Um, great job. And um, just everyone that worked so hard, we passed out a lot of Bibles yesterday and got to talk to a lot of people, so it was really great. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment right now, actually, just to pray for the people that came. Um, that we give them Bibles, we you know, invite them to church. We do, it's, it's, very, uh, um, it's very formal, it's somewhat impersonal, though. It's a big event, there's a lot of people. So um, it can be hard to actually kind of get real with people in those moments. So let's just pray for them. Pray that God, whoever, um, um, would move on their hearts to want to seek Jesus more. Even if it's not at this church, it doesn't matter. Um, we just want them to come to know and love Jesus Christ. That's why we do those things. You know, so um, let's pray right now real quick for them. Um, and uh, if you could just join me. God, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity yesterday um, for... Um, to be able to serve um, the people that you love and you made. And God, we even ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for our sins. We know, Lord, that sometimes we have um, secret attitudes and anger or jealousy or um, fear, whatever it might be, that sometimes is unbridled um, and is a lack of faith on our part. So we just ask that you would hear, hear our confession to you. Um, make us right with you, God. Help us to love each other. Help us to trust you. And God, I pray, Lord, that in that trust and in that um, right relationship with you, that things like that we did yesterday would, would um, see fruition. That maybe there are people going through a divorce or maybe um, a child that ran away from home or is estranged or so many different issues that sometimes people go through and experience. I pray, Lord, that they would seek you and seek your kindness, that they would open up those Bibles that they were given, that those Bibles wouldn't end up in the trash can or just under a car seat. I pray, Lord, that they would be taken out, that, that you would be sought, that your Holy Spirit, God, would... Um, just awaken people and move people. I pray, Lord, that you would um, that we would see um, just revival and awakening of, of people's hearts and lives, that people would come um, to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to accept his great love for you. Um, we have family and friends ourselves, husbands, wives, children, aunts, uncles, friends. I pray, God, that um, we would be faithful and diligent to seek them um, with the gospel. I pray that ourselves, that we would seek you ourselves with the gospel and with in prayer and in the word god we just love you and we thank you that we get to approach you this morning as a church in jesus name amen well thanks again and 
we get um, to continue this morning and what we were uh, teaching on a few weeks ago. I didn't teach last week, right? Was it Bruce? Yeah, Bruce was here. See, that's, that's where I am. But, um, but yeah, so we, we left off a few weeks ago talking about when Christ comes. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. And if you're kind of new to us, we've, we've picked up a new sermon series that we've titled Life After Loss. And it's basically combing through the epistle or the letter to Peter, or of Peter, excuse me, in the New Testament, as much of what it has to do is how Christians face suffering with faith and hope. Um, so we've just decided to examine this carefully in our lives as Christians so that we can be a light um, to our families and to others. But I just wanted to remind you this morning about some of the basic ideas that we've been presenting so far, um, specifically with the emotional development of trauma or trial. Um, we've basically labeled kind of three stages, and I'm no psychologist, but um, these are just in my own experience and what I see in scripture as identifying um, how, we, how we oftentimes go through uh, tri trial in life. Basically, the traumatic event and then um, some kind of trust issue um, goes off in us and insecurity is developed, and that basically develops a tr trigger types of responses or behaviors or ways of thinking. So we go through the trauma, we become insecure, and now we have behaviors or ways of thinking to deal with that new insecurity or the pain of the past. That, that trigger could be um, um, feelings of isolation, movement to be alone, not be around people. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, to note some like extreme versions of kind of trigger behaviors of ways that we deal with past pain. Um, we observed a few weeks ago in our text that Peter tells us about these triggers and what a Christian is to do in response to trial, trauma, and sometimes the insecurity that can result from it. He tells us, set your hope, be sober-minded. That was his language. To have your minds fully alert is something that we heard. How to deal with our unhealthy and sometimes dangerous triggers that were a part of our old ways of dealing with pain and fear. <clears throat> We have a new medication, and that medication is a meditation, right? That was clever. Um, and that, med that meditation, that medication is a fixed hope. It's a sober mind to see things as they really are and not see things as we think they are through the lens of a past problem. Peter reminds us that we are to do this by zeroing in on a meditation, on a promise that's given to us from God. He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Concentrate in the midst of suffering. Concentrate. Remind yourself every day that Jesus Christ is coming, that he will be revealed and that he is bringing grace to his people. This is very important. We're going to examine this a little bit more, because we've got to know exactly, I think, what this means. What are we thinking about? Is it just Jesus is coming back? That's a simple concept. There's more to it than that. In weeks past, we learned about the inheritance promised to the believer in Christ. Remember, we talked about this. We called this a rest. This is heaven's rest. When we enter into eternity, when we die and go to heaven, we described a little bit about what that means. Peter now instructs us 
fix your minds on the promise that heaven's rest is coming. Isn't that interesting? The medication to a weary soul is the habitation of heaven in the heart. You see, I didn't write that down, and I can't even say it again. (laughs) But isn't that sweet? The medication to your soul is the habitation of heaven in your heart. There, I did it. Peter instructs us, fix your minds on the promise that heaven's rest is coming. It seems kind of odd. Why would that help? How is it that I can look through traumatic events like divorce or death or all these different things and just think about that Jesus is coming back and somehow kind of magically and mystically be set straight? Well, I hope that you can kind of see this this morning by the end. We need to continually learn how to fix our eyes. And this sobers up our minds. And we do this by examining the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon and that he brings eternal life with him. Okay? Three sun- Sundays ago, we noted, if you recall, the last time I preached, that there were four events that are yet future that mark the beginning of heaven for, for God's people. There are four events that are yet future that mark the beginning of heaven, as we know it, or God's rest, eternity, for God's people. Those four things are the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of God's people, what the scriptures call the judgment, and finally the coronation of Christ and his bride. The the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection of God's people, the judgment, and the coronation of Christ and his bride. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming back, that we are to fix our eyes on these four things, and this serves as a medication uh, to your soul, a healing power, a balm, if you will, to your soul, to fix your eyes on these four things. As we meditate on these things, they serve our battered souls like medicine does. The capstone event we've already discussed, recall, the return of Christ. We, we talked um, the last time I spoke in detail about what the return of Christ is and what it brings. We also talked a little, if you recall, about what, if he's coming back, what's he doing now? You remember this? What's he doing right now? Well, the first thing that we said is this is just a little bit of review. He's dwelling in heaven. His abode is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He has received glory and honor. We talked about that. He sits at the Father's right hand, marking his rulership, his kingship. He sits down. He is king over all creation. That's what was given to Jesus at his ascension after he resurrected from the dead. He sits as head to the church, we talked about. That means that for the church, he creates the church, he loves the church, he cares for the church, he prays for the church, and he protects the church. He even equips the church with the Holy Spirit and gives her gifts. That's what Jesus Christ is actively doing right now for his bride, his people, from heaven. He acts as priest to the the church, which is kind of interesting language. But the scriptures say that he is our great high priest. That is, he defends you from all accusation because you are innocent in Christ if you put faith in him. So there is now no accusation. You are not guilty in heaven. In the tribunal, in the courtroom of heaven, when there is an accusation... You are acquitted. You see, so Jesus is your priest, your advocate, as the scripture talks about. 
He defends your innocence. And finally, isn't this a great one? He is preparing a home for you, for his bride. He calls you his bride by faith in Christ, and he is preparing a home for you. And when he returns, he will bring his bride faithfully to that home. When the, so when the work of building his bride, the church, is complete, that's what we know as the church age, the time in between his ascension and his coming again, that's when the church is kind of living out and being built. When, he, when, it, when that's done, he comes back. And his return, we talked about, is at any moment. It can happen at any time. We don't know when it will be. That's according to Scripture. And it is personal, visible, and bodily. We will see it with our eyes, the Scripture says. The Bible actually says every eye will see the return of Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about this this morning. So the return of Christ and the rest he brings is for the believer the only medicine for your soul in times of trial. You need daily to set the table of heaven in your heart. The only real happiness that we can experience in our lives, genuine happiness, comes from this living fountain. It's the source of your abundant life, and the, pro- the Father promises this, these things to us in Christ. So that's the coming of Christ, but he brings three things with him when he comes. He brings three things with him. We talked about this just a moment ago. Resurrection, judgment, and coronation. When Christ returns, he brings these three gifts to the world. He brings resurrection, judgment, and coronation. And might I suggest to you that the insecurities and the fears that result in all of the traumas of our life have to do with insecurity in one of these three areas. Death or separation from love, from life, right? There's one. Unresolved evil. Unresolved evil that is finally resolved at the judgment. And finally, glory, the need to matter, the need to be looked at and applauded. You see, we always, a lot of times we see this as pride, You know, if you need to be applauded, you're just proud. Well, Scripture says you get an applause from God himself. You were built, you were created to be applauded. It's pride when we we applaud ourselves for who we are rather than who God has made us to be, who we are in Christ. See? But when Christ comes, he brings these three things, and let's talk about them. First, the resurrection of God's people. The New Testament speaks about the resurrection of the body as a fact. It's not just Christ that is resurrected from the dead, but the resurrection of all of his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reads this. There are two verses that I want to expose you to tonight, okay? To this morning, rather. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so Adam was the first created man, and his sin, Scripture teaches was passed on to his progeny that's you and me so we're born sinners according to scripture for as in adam all die so in christ all will be made alive but each in turn christ the first fruits then when he comes those who belong to him so it's very clear in scripture that christ was the first example the prototype of resurrection that that will pass on to those who belong to him that is by faith in christ Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. This even gets better. 
Because there's a day when Christ returns where some of his church will be alive still. They don't even die. They get translated. That means transformed instantly without death and put into an everlasting body. Brothers and sisters, excuse me, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. That's what that means. But we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed to imperishable. Then the saying is written, will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is repeated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is in the New Testament as well, another letter written by Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we will believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. You see what he's saying here? That in Christ, if you've fallen asleep in Christ, that means you've had faith in Jesus, when he comes, we come with him. Okay? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, so we have a physical bodily resurrection. And after that, we who are still alive are let, and, and are left, so you haven't died yet, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's a reference to what some have called the rapture of the church. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Wow. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that sentence is a very powerful sentence. Encourage one another with these words. What words? That Jesus is coming. That when you die, you'll be risen to new life. It doesn't say encourage, not the words of, you know, you'll find a new job. It doesn't say that. That's not how Scripture says to encourage the brethren. It, it gets us to remind ourselves of where we're going. The real purpose of our life is to be with God. That means that even now, the real purpose of our life is to be with God. The coming of Christ promises the resurrection of his bride to eternal life. Can you just pause on that for a moment and just sit and wonder that the coming of Christ, when he comes, which the Bible says will happen quickly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, those who belong to him will be resurrected from the, the, the grave. It's a story that serves, there's a story, excuse me, in the New Testament that I, seek, I think that really serves us well to understand the nature of God and his compassion and even this event of the resurrection. Um, it's in Mark chapter 5. And you guys might recall this if you've, read, if you've had any experience reading the Bible. But in Mark chapter 5, there's a man named Jairus. And Jairus um, has a little girl. And Jesus is in his active ministry on earth at this point, And he's healing people and he's doing all sorts of miracles. And Jairus knows that if he can get to Jesus and Jesus can um, get to his daughter, that his daughter will be saved. So Jairus uh, um, 
clamors after Christ to find him. He finally finds him. He falls at his feet, and he begins to plead with him, Jesus, please, my little girl is dying. She has no hope. She has a terminal illness. You need to come, or she's going to die. So Jesus, just moved with compassion, begins to follow this man. And on the way, there's other things that happen, but on the way, um, they're met with Jairus' friends and family, and they're given the bitter and sad and difficult news that Jairus' daughter had died, that it was too late. So his, his friends begin to tell him, Jairus, your, your daughter has, has died. It's too late. There's no need to trouble the master anymore. Let him go. It's too late. And Jesus overhears this conversation. And he turns to them and he remarks, Do not fear, only believe. The words of Christ. Do not fear, only believe. And scripture says that they approach her house and they go into her room and it says this, He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and they went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Very interesting phrase that Jesus uses right here. People have translated it in different ways. But it's a very powerful expression of what I think we will hear when he comes. Talitha kum is very much like saying something like this. Sweetheart, honey, wake up. Just the kind and compassion, compassionate expression of a father to his little girl. Honey, honey, wake up. I'm here. And scripture says immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astounded. Oh, friends, can you imagine on that day the picture that we have of all of Christ's bride who have fallen asleep when he comes like a father to his sleeping children. Kids, wake up. Dad's here. And immediately we'll rise from our graves and meet him. You see, friends, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Doesn't, wouldn't this kind of make you, wouldn't you just start to care less about stuff going on around you if you're so fixated with the coming of Christ? I think it's just the opposite. I think we're actually free to work and love and do all the things that we've always done before, but we're free doing them. They don't tie us up in knots anymore. We're not, our identities are no longer bound to our success because Christ is coming. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead and Christ will rise first. He'll say, wake up, guys. I'm home. And we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, with minds, this is Peter now, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. I'm reading this book 
by Richard Baxter, <clears throat> who I'll quote in a moment. But he basically says that part of, he believes because of these verses, that part of our daily devotion as Christians should be a meditation on the coming of Christ and the heaven that he brings. That part of the clamoring of our own soul is because we just refuse to do that. We're so interested in everything else but it. And our souls are disheveled when Christ, who is your life, appears in Colossians 3, you will appear with him in glory. Amen. And these are the words of Baxter. Look not thou on the dead bones and the dust and the difficulties of your life, but look at the promise. Let us lie down in peace and take our rest. It will not be an everlasting night or an endless sleep. As sure as we awake in the morning, so sure shall we then awake. Amen? Now we might say more about the resurrection of God's people and the timing and all the events. There's lots of things that we could describe. But let's simply just rest here this morning in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes, he is going to announce to us, wake up, kids. Dad's home. And when he comes, the dead will rise, but he will also come as judge. And here we have a, a seeming harsher look at Christ that we don't care much to discuss. <laughs> right? It's not too politically correct nowadays to talk about a God who is just and even a God who is angry. But when Christ comes, Scripture is very clear that he comes as judge. And before, friends, before our modern minds object to this, don't we all know just deep down in our gut that this is the only solution to the problem of evil in our world? That there is, if, if there is not a God who sets things straight, who once and finally decrees evil to be evil and ends it once and for all because he's holy and good, that the, the alternative is that we live in a world where evil is arbitrary and that we get away with it and that we just die and we're worm food. And that's it. But there's a God in Scripture who is just, that we'll be accountable to. If there's no calling to account, no balancing the scales, then the mountain of injustice in our world is left to no consequence. But when Jesus comes, Scripture says that he comes with fire in his eyes. And we have to open ourselves up to this. Because there is a good and kind and loving and merciful and compassionate Jesus, but there is also part of him that is holy and just and righteous. And this is what we see about Christ in Revelation chapter 18. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and therefore, there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. Because Satan's a jerk. I mean, come on, right? Isn't evil present? Doesn't it need to be fought against? Well, the King of kings and Lord of lords is going to do it, and he's going to end it. How can heaven be heaven if evil continues? Right? His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him 
that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. This is Jesus Christ. In the beginning, John chapter 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him. Now, who's this? We just read about it. All of his saints with him when he comes. The armies of heaven are following him. Oh, just imagine this, friends, that one day Christ will return in the clouds and we'll be standing with him there on nothing and watch him take back what was always his. Amen? Thank you, Tracy. Amen. He's taking it back. Oh, why is all this evil? And why is all this allowed? Oh, we have all these objections. But friends, he's coming back. You're right. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be happening. But when Jesus comes, he'll end it and he'll finish it. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which with to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That is not today's God, friends. That is not today's Jesus, but that is the Bible's Jesus. That's who, he's, who he is on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written king of kings lord of lords you know our forefathers knew this about jesus and they weren't afraid to talk about it they actually wrote a song about it mine eyes mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the lord he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored he hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword his truth is marching on he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in those books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up their dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Oh, dreadful day. Because you know what this says, friends? that there is not a resurrection just for God's people, but there is a resurrection for everyone else too. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, to be outside of Christ is to remain in your sin and to be your own Savior, which the Bible teaches is futile you can't do it only the lamb of god can and it's so pointless and unnecessary because in the moment you believe the moment you say yes he's the savior and i'm not he's god i'm not your sins are forgiven you don't got to climb a mountain or spin around you don't even got to come to church 
Friends, we don't do good things to get to heaven. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Simply look to Christ and be saved. Oh, at the judgment of Christ, all his church, this is the glorious part. Because when he comes for his church as judge, he, we are decreed innocent. All his church acquitted of all their guilt and sin. And the reason for it is because it was put on Jesus and not us. So we're found in Christ, his blood satisfying the anger of God towards sin. Yet for those this blood doesn't touch, who choose to reject him and his good gift, who believe themselves to be innocent, who didn't care to worship God, but worshiped only themselves and their fellow man, find what scripture calls a second death, a separation from God, that does not end. O oh, terrible day. O oh, joyful day. Joyful for the bride. Terrible for those outside. In Romans chapter 3, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth is silenced. You see, friends, when we stand before God and Christ when he comes, we won't object, we won't argue, we'll know that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every, and every, excuse me, every tr- tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I've been in positions in my life where... I have tried to dis- defend myself when I know I'm guilty. Have you ever done that? You're trying to spin it. You're trying to make an excuse. But sometimes, when I have maybe a little ounce of humility in me, there comes a point in that argument where I stop. And I say, you know what? I'm guilty. You're right. I got no excuse. I'm wrong. I hurt you. You see, friends, that's what it's going to be like when we stand before him who is all holy and all righteous and all pure, we can bark and scoff all we want now, but when we see that holiness, Scripture says every mouth is silenced. We just stop making excuses, and we say, I'm guilty. I've worshipped everything but you. And I've had all the reason in the world to worship you. All creation proclaims your name. Your word has been provided to me. Christ has come, died and resurrected. There is a time, friends, if you don't know Christ, it's happening right now, where Christ followed you. There's a time where he would and you would not. Friends, he chases you with pleas and proposals. Even now, these words fall on your ears. Come unto me, he says, and be saved. Let your hard heart melt and trust in what he's done for you. Don't stand hard and fixed anymore because the day is coming. He is coming quickly. He stands at the door. Heaven is about to be opened, friend. And if you don't know Christ, friends, would you come to know him right now? If you're still thinking about these things, would you go home and think about them more? Ask yourself, is this real or not? Is this true or not? What say you of Christ? 
What is your decision about who he is? It's the most important choice you'll ever make. For when he comes, he will be one and at one and the same time forever separate. For, for, excuse me, forever, he'll forever separate the lost or he will forever acquit his faithful people when he comes. And when he comes, number three, we will witness the coronation of Christ and his bride. Coronation of Christ and his bride. Now this is incredible because we, we all sort of know, I think, if you have any knowledge of Christianity, we all sort of know that Jesus is oftentimes called a king. We all kind of know, he, okay, yeah, he's king of kings, lord of lords. We've heard this before. So you might know that Jesus is described as a king. He's crowned as a king. But the coronation of his people, think about this. You are kings, according to scripture, in Christ by faith. The coronation of a created thing, his people. He crowns you and me. Now, I know what it's like. Have you ever gotten a trophy? Right? For gymnastics or baseball or basketball or maybe you're the best speller in the school. <laughs> right? You're good at spelling bees. Whatever. You ever got a trophy? I remember when I was a kid, I got a baseball trophy in Little, in little League. Um, is that what they call it? Little League? Yeah. So I played Little League for years when I was a little kid and I got this big trophy. I was so proud of myself. Look what I did. It meant that I was better than you. At baseball. <laughs> it meant, maybe to make it sound a little nicer, it meant that I was great at something. Oh, how that made me feel so good. That I actually am being acknowledged as competent and like praiseworthy. You see, friends, a lot of times, I said this in the beginning, we see that as like this arrogant drive, like I, we just want people's attention and their applause, and it can be, but you were built for that in Christ. God is the applause, though. He's the one that made you, and the reason he applauds you is because of him. It's because you're made in his image. It's like Picasso applauding one of his pictures. You see, you see that Leonardo applauding the statue of David. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For you are his workmanship. You know what that means? That you are his masterpiece. You are his statue of David. And when you approach him, forgiven of all your sins, pure, presented as you were supposed to always be, there is applause. That's who you are in Christ. You're not a bum. You're not fat. You're not ugly. You're not unmarriable. You're not all these things, that, right? You're not a loser. All these things that we think about ourselves. You are the crown jewels of God in heaven. That's who he's made you to be. So when, you, when Christ appears, the crowning ceremony happens. You are finally looked at what you have always meant to be looked at as. Isn't that fantastic? So you know what? Your loser mom or dad who doesn't get how wonderful you are, and sorry moms and dads, because not all moms or dads like that, I apologize, but some of them are. Some of them are just big jerks, aren't they? You know, like, they, uh, they, they can be abusive and cruel. 
They can be demeaning with their words, but friends, in Christ, we have a different God. We have a different Father. And when he comes, he comes with a crown for you. Oh, isn't that great? He doesn't approach failures. He doesn't approach us as all the negative things. He gives us a trophy. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Revelation chapter 1. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests to God and our Father. Revelation chapter 5. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Wow. Governors of God's kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world and that you will judge angels? Can you imagine do you know that two angels completely wiped out one city of thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Do you know how powerful and majestic and wise and strong angels are? And scripture says that they bend your necks to look at you and that you'll judge them. You'll end them. Wow. When he comes, he'll sit down in his throne and he'll sit you there right with him. That's in the Bible. Isn't that fantastic? And then by grace, in Scripture, his bride will inherit, fill, and rule the earth over the kingdom prepared for us. Wow. Encourage one another with these things. Here is the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming for us. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming, that he will return, he will resurrect your body, he will acquit you of all sin, and he will crown you and make you heir of his kingdom. You see, think on those things. Think on those things. You're not forgotten. You'll never die. Your sins will be forgiven, and you will be applauded by the creator of everything. Amen? Think on those things. Friends, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're safe, you matter. Baxter says one more time, by the line and plummet of scripture, fathom this fourfold stream. And in this four-wheeled fiery chariot, you will be delivered to honor and rest. Set your hope, friends. Set your table every day with this. You gotta do it. You gotta set your table. Your soul will be crushed if you don't. Fix your mind and your affections to a daily meditation on these things, that he is coming, that the dead will rise, that evil will be quenched forever, and he'll set glory on your heads. Friends, that's the four-wheel chariot that we need to think about Every single day. That's our medication. Be triggered to that end when you go through trauma in life. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you now again in repentance and faith, trusting, Lord, that we are not our own saviors, that we are not innocent but guilty. God, we have broken your law and worshiped other idols and other gods. 
But God, you have given us grace. You have sent your son to die for sinners like us. And at the moment we put trust in you, you forgive us and you graft us into your family. And then you promise that when you come, you'll raise our bodies, you'll forgive our sin, and you'll crown us with crowns. So God, I pray, Lord, tonight that if there's anyone here that doesn't, this morning, excuse me, that if there's anyone that does not know that, oh friend, would you come by faith to Christ? Cry out to him, Father, I am a sinner, save me. I accept that Jesus' death was a death I should have died, but he died it for me. And God, in Christ, I am yours. Friends, if that's you, if your heart is melting in his presence and trusting in Jesus, you have the hope of eternal life. You're his. Go and sin no more. And if that's you, friend, would you just tell me? Would you come up to me after church and, so that I can pray with you and rejoice with you what's happening in your heart? God, we love you, and we ask you, Lord, as, as uh, members of your church, would you um, be with us as well as we consider these things? Help us to take our cares to you, to cast them on you, and help us to remember, to set our hope on what you've promised us. We love you, God, in Christ's name. We ask also, Lord, that as we prepare our hearts um, for, for this uh, upcoming communion service, we thank you, Lord, for the death and resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the broken body and for the, his shed blood. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord's Supper has been part of the weekly worship service of gathered followers of Jesus since the birth of the church. It is a practice the local church is instructed to perform regularly and soberly. At Refuge Church, we approach the table with reverence and gratefulness as we serve Jesus together as members of his body. Receiving the Lord's Supper is a public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, marked by a new affection for him willingness to follow and obey him. It is an identification with Jesus and his people. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, we ask you to simply observe the church in their demonstration of faith and love to Jesus and to each other, and to do something far more important. Seek the Lord in silent prayer. Consider what you have heard and what he has done for sinners like us. None of us, not even followers of Jesus, should take the supper in an unworthy manner. So before we come to receive the elements, let's examine ourselves and confess to Jesus, who is faithful and right to forgive us whenever we ask. As the music plays, you may come forward when you're ready to receive the elements. If the ushers are not up front, they will leave the elements on the table in front of the pulpit. 
remember that it should be our blood in this cup and our body broken on this plate. Instead, it was Christ's on our behalf. Scripture reads, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.